All right, so Matt, when I first started dating Ashley, she just she she went on and on and on about bees. That's how I knew she was a keeper. <laughs> Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam. And my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. (laughs) All right, everybody, here we are again. Matt, how you doing tonight, brother? Man, I'm all right. Good. Good. So before we get into the episode, we want to say go check out the Podbelly Network at podbelly.com. You can find a list of shows that we're happy to be associated with, and you can find some tips and tricks on podcasting if you so desire. But I guarantee you there's going to be something on there, a show or something that you're going to enjoy. So go to podbelly.com. While you're on the internet doing your internet stuff go over to patreon.com slash graveyard tales sign up to become a patron we've got three different levels and our ten dollar a month get the video version of this episode and an ad free audio version of this episode along with the bonus episodes weekly that the other levels get as well but i mean we got a ton of stuff over there even when we're dark on the main channel we put out an episode on the patreon channel yeah, I mean, just loads of stuff, various topics. It, it's it's a lot of fun. Yep. So you, you go check it out. Yep. So speaking of loads of fun, Matt, did you know this? when this episode drops, the day that it drops is the official sixth anniversary of Graveyard Tales. Ah, how cool. It, no, I didn't know yep, that. It will be but, dropping October 13th, Friday the 13th. Ah, yeah. And that's man, that's crazy. Six years. I, yep. I, I can't even, I, well, not one, neither one of us thought that this would turn into what it was, no, but not at all. You know, six years later, you know, we're, we're still going. And, you know, it's, it's because of you guys. Our listeners oh, are yeah. the reason that we're still doing this. So, you know, thank you for six wonderful years. And uh, here's to six more plus. Yep. So. At least six more. And Matt's right. If it, if it wasn't for you guys supporting us and egging us on, then <laughs> Matt would yeah. Matt and I would have stopped recording this and and we'd have just talked about it yeah. like we did in the beginning. So <laughs> thanks for keeping us with a with a passion project here. Um, speaking of passion projects, you like my segues here today? I I'm, love. I'm it. working on the I segue. Love it. Thing. Segue master. Yeah, I'm a something master. Uh, or a master something, something. Um, October the 28th, it is the Saturday before Halloween, since Halloween decides to be on a stupid day of the week this year <laughs> instead of on the weekend. But Matt and I are going to celebrate Halloween on the 28th, and we want to do it with you guys. So we're going to be doing a live stream on our Facebook page. You know, we were... Like we said before, we were going to try to do an in-person live show, but there just wasn't enough people that could travel to Mm -hmm. do that. So we still wanted to get in front of you guys in some sort of live fashion. So we're going to do it over on the Facebook page. So you got to have liked the Facebook page, but go over there and you can see details about when and how to log in. And... We're going to be doing something kind of cool. It's going to be similar to a Patreon that we do, but we're going to be doing it live. And at the end of that, we're going to try to take some questions from you guys that you can just post in the chat there, and we'll answer some questions. Um, maybe not all of them, and and depends on what you ask. <laughs> that's right. We're we're opening up the door for a lot, bud. Yeah, I know. I know that. that why i had to say it depends on what you ask because there's i mean we're modest southern men here we're we're bashful that's right (laughs) (laughs) 
neither one of us can say that with a straight face, but uh, that's right. There, there's just some things that we don't need to we don't need to answer publicly on a forum like this. <laughs> so get, get over there and make sure you have liked the Facebook page so you can get notifications about the live show and come join us October 28th. You can find the time over there on the Facebook page as well. But join us, you know, be involved in a show. And we're going to try to record it as well so that if you can't make it, you can still watch it somewhere. But we'd like to talk to you all. So get over there and live show watch, whatever you call it, with us. So, Matt, that's all I've got for the intro here. Why don't you tell us what are we talking about tonight, brother? Okay, so tonight we're going to check out another haunted hotel. Uh, This time we're going to go to Boston. Boston. And we're looking. Boston. Boston. Yeah. Um, We're looking at the Omni Parker House or the Omni Parker Hotel, as it's referred to. Or the Omni Parker House. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to. I'm going to annoy y'all from Boston because I'm going to keep doing that (laughs) randomly. I apologize up front. I was going to say, you know, we we need to apologize to all of our Boston listeners. You know, we're going to we're going to trash your accent. tonight. I I think they're used to it because most people (laughs) do it. And but I had a friend from Boston and he he was a tough old bird. So I don't want to make many of Boston people angry because they might. Right. Yeah. Might beat me up and then I'll cry. But you know, this is this is funny. We're gonna we're gonna let y'all in on a little secret here. Oh Lord! As as we as we were as we were researching this, I I I kept thinking, man, have we done this before? Yep, yep. And things seem so familiar. And so when I got on tonight with Adam, I said. Man, did you think that we had done this? He was like, yeah, yeah, yeah I told him. <laughs> Before he finished, I knew what he was saying. Cause I, it, <laughs> same thing. I was like, dude, I've done this research before. I know I have. So I, best we can come up with is that we, we have either looked at it, uh, as a potential show in the past, uh, or we have released this episode in an alternate universe. Yeah. Um, and we just we know about it, but because I have a theory we, about that, Matt, the uh, uh, Mandela effect. Here, here's oh yeah, my quick yeah. theory about that. What it is, and and this explains our Omnipaka House episode. Um, as we're on the Earth and we're traveling through our galaxy and stuff like that, our galaxy is traversing universes. So the reason we have the Mandela effect is because in the first universe we were in, that did happen. And then we crossed the plane into another universe and something different has happened. And that's why we all have that. And it's deja vu as well. It's like, well, I've done that before. You did, but you did it in the previous universe that our galaxy was in. Yeah. So I could, I I could be way off base, but that's my theory. (laughs) It's as good as any. Yeah. But you know we're gonna we're gonna dig it. There's some there's some cool history um, uh, about the Omni Parker House, um, and there's quite a bit of activity that goes on there uh, with guests and staff, and uh, so I think I think you're gonna enjoy this one. It's pretty entertaining. Yep. So as we always say, go check our sources down at the bottom of the show notes. You can find where we found all this information, and you know we got to give credit to the the people that did the boots on the ground work since Matt and I can't do the boots on the ground research at a lot of these. Yeah. So the Omni Parker house sits at 60 school street in Boston, mass. So it was founded by Harvey D Parker in 1855. It's the oldest of Boston's elegant inns, and it's the longest continually operating hotel in the United States. So, I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, not often do we get to talk about, well, we may have talked about it before and something, but not often do you get to talk about a a hotel that is the longest running hotel. That's right. And it's funny, when you said that, I thought, yeah, I already knew that. Yeah. 
It's still happening. I know. I know. <laughs> it's going to happen more because I, I got yeah, more here. Yeah. So a, a lot of this information in the beginning I got from the Omni Hotels information about the Parker House here uh, mm-hmm. because Omni, as you'll find out, they, they own a few other hotels, not just this mm-hmm. one. So they've got some archives on the different historic hotels. and Yeah. I've I've actually stayed in an Omni. Have you? Uh, I stayed at the one in Atlanta a few years ago, and man, it, it's it's super nice. Yeah, um, they don't let me in them. <laughs> <laughs> the bellhop or, or guard usually pushes me out. So, yeah, yeah, but I mean, it's it is it's really really nice. Yeah, it and, is. Uh, yeah, they they may they uh they got the hotel thing down. Oh, I mean, for they sure. Know, they know how to run it for sure. <laughs> So the concept of a hotel is a pretty new one, actually, because in colonial Boston, travelers would usually find rest and refreshment, not in hotels or motels or holiday inns, but it was like local taverns and inns. So they they would sleep in these like rustic shared bedrooms in taverns. And yes. Shared bedrooms, so they often shared beds mm-hmm. with other people. And after spending a lot of time at the bar drinking the beer, so then mm-hmm. they would just kind of go pass out next to a bunch of dudes. And we'll talk about that. It was mostly dudes that stayed at these. Not a lot of women back then would stay at these tavern shared bedroom places for obvious reasons now it says as these precursors to the modern hotel developed beyond these simple like tap rooms and stuff they began to be known as houses so a a, a gentle nomenclature they say for a far gen- gentler environment so instead of tap room and shared bedroom it was you're staying at a house So, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but during the second quarter of the 19th century, more and more travelers arrived in Boston. And so lodging and dining kind of proliferated throughout the town. You know, a lot of them had patriotic names like the American house, the Shawmut, the Adams, the Revere house, stuff like that. I mean, it's Boston. Come on. You know, of course it's going to be patriotic. That's right. Um, But Boston's, Resident houses became pretty genteel and sometimes luxurious. And in, in doing so, that actually brought a lot of female patrons of the of the houses because the original places, they're so rough and dirty and full of gross drunk men that women obviously did not want to stay a night there. I mean, I wouldn't if I was them. Oh, yeah, right. So in the midst of this period of expansion and change, a a 20-year-old boy named Harvey D. Parker arrived in Boston on a packet from Maine. So the year was 1825, and he had had this dilemma. He had less than a dollar in his pocket, and young Parker was in imminent need of employment. So his first job was as a caretaker for a horse and cow, and it brought him $8 $8 per month. <laughs> so I, I know times were different, but $8 a month was still not a lot, even back then. That's right. So he he later got work as a coachman for a wealthy Watertown woman, and that garnered him a little bit more money a week, but it set him on a whole new career path. It says, whenever Parker trotted the horse-drawn coach into Boston, the young man ate his noonday meal at a dark cellar cafe on Court Square. It was owned by a a man named John E. Hunt. Well, by 1832, Parker bought Hunt's cafe for $432, and he renamed it Parker's Restaurant. So because of him... uh, taking this horse and carriage into Boston. Then he stumbled upon this restaurant and ate there. And that ended up with him buying it. So 
I mean, if he'd have stayed a horse and cow tender, that probably wouldn't have happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> but like I said, he renamed it Parker's Restaurant. And a combination of excellent food and perfect service immediately began attracting a regular clientele of businessmen, lawyers, and newspapermen. Well, by 1847, he took on a partner, John F. Mills. In 1854, he was ready to embark on a bigger enterprise. So this is an ambitious kid. Yeah. I mean, I say kid. I I don't know exactly how old he was then. I, I'm not good at the mathing, but I, he's young. He Yeah, he's still pretty young when all this is happening. Yep. And... You know, the one thing they, they always talked about Harvey Parker was that he was he he was always interested in how his guests were treated and how they enjoyed their stay. And you see it in the restaurant mm-hmm. that you know it was it was that perfect customer service that they provided that helped to draw in people to taste the really good food. I mean, that's right. the thing. You may have the best food in the world. You know, if if you're a butthole, mm-hmm. you know, nobody wants to come in and eat your delicious food. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. So Parker had a plan, and it was to build a first-class hotel and restaurant at the School Street base of Beacon Street, just down the road from the domed Massachusetts State House. Almost said Steakhouse that time. <laughs> you could say it like a... Like I have patients that say Massachusetts. Yeah. Yeah. And that is easier to say than Massachusetts, but <laughs> it must be why they I, say it I can't way. bring myself to say Massachusetts. Yeah. And just, it sounds bad. That and Hawaii. Hawaii. <laughs> yep. I think we know the same people, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, despite the competition, Another modern hotel directly across from Tremont, Parker bought the former Miko Mansion on April 22nd, 1854, and raised that building to the ground. So in its place, he built this ornate five-story Italian-style stone and brick hotel faced in gleaming white marble. That had to have been a sight to see at the time. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, the first and second floors featured arched windows, white marble steps that led from a sidewalk to the marble foyer within. And once you went inside, there were thick carpets and fashionable horsehair divans, it says, that completed an air of elegance. I don't even know what a horsehair divan would feel like. <laughs> I want to find out. I feel like riding a horse. <laughs> Maybe so, but softer. Bareback. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but, this 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 makes me feel like I'm riding a horse. Yeah. This is like a soft little pony, though. <laughs> Above the front door of this, he had an engraved sign, and all it said was Parker's. Which I I, I wish more places would do that rather than having these long dumb names just. One simple name. We can figure out what it is, and the interest of not knowing what it is will bring people in. So, yeah. The constantly clever, it says, Oliver Wendell Holmes Sr. He was a self-avowed autocrat of the breakfast table, and he would say these floofy things about different places, and he, he wrote this, like, poem about Parker's. And it says, quote, such feast, the laughs of many a pound hour that shook the mortar from King George's tower. Such guests, what famous names it its records boast, whose owner wanders in the mob of ghosts. I That's hard for me to say, Matt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's it's odd, but it I mean, it, it goes to show that there was already some some activity happening you know years ago you know it's not just a recent haunting um because some of these you know famous people that stayed there 
in in a way reported that they had some strange encounters. Right. Now, it, it seems to be an elegant place. You know, we got this guy loving it. But the hotel itself has seen quite a few of major political characters as well as just people around town with money. Do you know John Wilkes Booth stayed at the Parker House Hotel the week before he shot President Lincoln? Man. Well, he was just a he was just a regular actor at that point. Yeah. Yep. You know. Yep. But he he stayed there. Ho Chi Minh, the Marxist revolutionary president of North Vietnam, worked there as a pastry chef and his marble baking table is still being used. Well, now that one I wouldn't have guessed. No, I wouldn't have either. So Ho Chi Minh worked at the the Parker house here. I When I read that, I was like, I had to go back and read it a couple times. I'm like, are you serious? <laughs> right, right. The same I mean, that, Ho Chi Minh that I'm, I'm thinking of, Ho Chi Minh. I, that's like saying that, you know, Stalin used to wash dishes at some resort in Miami. Yeah. yeah. Wh- wait, what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it just, it kind of, I mean, of course they had to have a life before they became the <laughs> the crazies that they were, but right. you don't expect it to be here. I expected it in Vietnam. That's right. I wouldn't have expected Ho Chi Minh to have been in Boston ever. No. Much, much less to have a job. <laughs> right. Well, that's so crazy. It is. Uh, Malcolm X worked as a waiter in the hotel's restaurant. I can buy that. Yeah. Uh, you know, yep. that makes sense. Yep. He was, <laughs> he was more active here than in another country. Right. So right. I, I understand that. <laughs> you know, he was American. He was not like. Well, President Ulysses S. Grant stayed at the Parker House Hotel, and it was also a favorite of the late President John F. Kennedy. JFK actually gave his first public speech in the hotel's press room, announced his bid for the U.S. Senate here, and even proposed to Jacqueline Bouvier in Parker's restaurant. Wow. So. Well, that yeah, that's some serious cool history. Yeah, it, it, it's got... Uh, it's got a lot of stuff going on. Like it's had, yeah. it has tales to tell it, it. Like if the, everybody says that these walls could talk, if the Parker house itself could talk, I'm sure it's got some stories, man. If the walls in my house could talk, I'd probably have to tell them to shut up. Yep, exactly. <laughs> man, we got to get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. Will you shut up? Oh, well, <laughs> and then every guest that came over is like, Matt farted on me yesterday. <laughs> Matt missed the toilet and peed on me yesterday. <laughs> on the wall. Yeah, I don't know why you've got Eeyore sounding walls. Of- but <laughs> Yeah, they would be. You oh, know? bother. <laughs> so, the Parker House was one of the first hotels to deviate from the American plan and embrace the more flexible European brand. So, hotelier Harvey Parker was also the first to offer meals continuously throughout the day rather than at fixed intervals. And the second floor became a popular choice for the dining clubs at the time. So 19th century Americans resisted this European plan for a hotel, and they said it was an affront to the democratic ideals. Oh, okay. So, uh, you know, they, they, they didn't like the way... that Parker decided to bring in some like European aspects. Now, granted, we weren't too far off from the war. Right, right. Like, so I I can understand, but we were far enough away from the war where Thomas Jefferson probably wasn't staying in this hotel. Right. Well, he may have, I don't know. (laughs) But today, the American plan only exist on places like cruise cruise ships and certain inclusive resorts like Sandals, Royal Plantation, Ocho Rios in Jamaica there, and stuff like that. So what we know as the European plan for hotels is basically what you see in 
all other hotels except for, you know, like cruise ships and stuff like that. So if you've been to both of those, you can kind of get an idea of the major differences there. Now, the success of the of the Parker House led Harvey to begin a program of improvement and enlargement. So he bought the adjoining horticultural hall in 1860. He demolished it and in its place built a six-story addition to the hotel. So he built on a big six-story addition to the hotel. It stepped forward of the old marble facade. The new building had bay windows in the front, and it was topped with this stylish roof, they say. Mm-hmm. So different, different than the original Parker house, but he tried to tie it in with some of the ornate details there. But three years later, Parker bought the land behind the new wing and again expanded the hotel. In 1866, he bought a narrow lot at 66 Tremont Street, which was a few doors down from the corner of School Street. And here, this property that adjoined the rear of his hotel buildings, he built a third hotel extension, which was closely modeled after the one on School Street that he started with. So I just can't get over it how how many times he's built onto this place. Yeah. And he and he bought the original restaurant for just a little, what a little over four hundred dollars. Yep, four hundred thirty-two dollars. Yeah. So, but put a lot more into into it over the years. There, they said the the hotel was kind of this curious mixture of styles and heights. When Charles Dickens returned to Boston for his second visit in eighteen sixty-seven. The Tremont House, where Dickens had stayed in 1842, was still in operation, but the popular writer preferred the more luxurious surroundings of Parker's. So Dickens had come to America for another of his lecture tours, Mm -hmm. and he found the Parker House a more comfortable place to stay than the other one, and he planned his itinerary here. He rehearsed his readings and he would sit there and rest between performances. Well, two days after his arrival, Dickens put pen on paper to describe the hotel to his daughter. What he said was, quote, this is an immense hotel with all manner of white marble, public passages and public rooms. I live in a corner high up and have hot and cold bath in my bedroom connecting with the sitting room and comforts not in existence when I was here before. The cost of living is enormous, but happily we can afford it. I dined a day with Longfellow, Emerson, Holmes, and Agassiz. Longfellow was here yesterday, perfectly white in hair and beard, but a remarkably handsome and notable-looking man. All right, y'all. So let's take a second and talk about tonight's sponsor, and that's Uncommon Goods. Now, we've talked about Uncommon Goods before, but we love Uncommon Goods. Now, if you want to hear someone say, man, where did you get that this holiday season? Well, Uncommon Goods is your secret weapon. They're here to make your holiday shopping stress-free because they will scour the globe for the most remarkable and truly unique gifts for everyone on your list. Whether you're shopping Secret Santa, entire family, or your significant other, they know exactly what they want. Now, we found a puzzle on there because we're big puzzle heads, especially Ashley. And they have a puzzle that you can customize with your names on there. So it's a bunch of buttons, and we got that, and we've got all of our names in there. So when you put it together, it's kind of like a a word find to try to find your name in the puzzle but they've also got a hot sauce making kit that's awesome it comes with the peppers the bottles the labels whatever you need to make your own hot sauce at home and a west coast style ipa brewing kit if you're into the ipas they've got a kit to help you brew it at home it's got the the bottle the ingredients the little bubbler thing that you need so it's all there 
And when you shop at Uncommon Goods, you're supporting artists and small independent businesses. So they search for high quality, unique, often handmade or made in the U.S. products. So you know they have the most meaningful, out of the ordinary gifts anywhere. From art and jewelry to kitchen, home and bar, Uncommon Goods has something for everyone. And it's not just that same old junk that you can find in a big box store. So if you want to get some Uncommon Goods this year for holiday, birthday, whatever, and to get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash grave, G-R-A-V-E. That's uncommongoods.com slash grave for 15% off. Don't miss out on this limited time offer. Uncommon Goods. We're all out of the ordinary. I mean, if you're a literature buff and you you read this, you're just like all of these guys, the you know, these contemporaries came together at this one place and shared a meal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it it's hard to imagine all of these authors um working at the same time but sitting and sharing ideas and and you know discussing what was going on at the times um you know these guys they they shaped um not just literature of the time but they shaped literature for the time to come mm-hmm. and it's all right there in this you know old fancy hotel in Boston right and anytime I hear I hear somebody mention Longfellow or anything like that, I think of what my grandpa used to say to me. If I said something that rhymed, he'd look at me and go, well, you're a poet and just don't know it, but your feet show it. They're Longfellows. <laughs> and as a yep. young kid, I didn't know who Longfellow was. And it wasn't right. until I got a little older that I went, oh, <laughs> I got the. Yeah, I get it now. I, yeah. He'd go back to me and go, hey, grandpa, I get it now. And he's like, uh-huh. what? That, that thing you used to say, he's like, I forgot. What are you talking about? Because he's, you know, 80 by that point. Anyway, because Parker died without any children, the operation of the Parker house was delegated to Lee C's Poonchard and Beckman, who managed it until Joseph R. Whipple took over in the 1890s. The Whipple Company, which was organized in 1906 operated the building under lease until 1925 when the fee was sold to Whipple by trustees of the Parker estate. Now, you know what, what Mr. Whipple, what he was famous for with the Omni Parker house. Yeah. The Whipple ball bat. That's where he developed the (laughs) Whipple ball bat. No, he upgraded all of the toilet paper in the rooms. Oh yeah. Yeah. See, some of you out there are laughing mm-hmm. and the the rest of you are looking like Adam right now <laughs> because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm showing my age. Yeah. I was going to say I'm a little bit younger than you. So that one went over my head. <laughs> so not, you, not often you, do they, but. But have you ever heard the, the catchphrase, don't squeeze the Charmin? Yes. Okay. So the, the ad that used that catchphrase the the guy in the little in the grocery store or you know whatever the market was named Mr. Whipple. Uh, and he was the one that was telling people please don't squeeze the Charmin. Uh, you know cuz okay. it was so soft everybody was just standing there just squeezing this big thing of toilet paper. Mr. Whipple would come up, you know, and he was the classic like grocery store manager, you know, uh, balding glasses, the little mustache, you With know, the apron. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was Mr. Whipple. Yeah, so okay. When I saw that, I was like, I'm going to throw this in here. Right. Well, I get it now that you explained it. But. <laughs> well, yeah, but, <laughs> but somebody, somebody out there got it before. Yeah, you know? that's, that's true. That's true. I, yeah. I knew those commercials. No idea that his name was Whipple though. Oh, I, yeah. I didn't pay that much attention, I guess. Well, executive executives of the Whipple grocery store owner man's company, uh, they they learned that a historic hotel 
in a modern American city is something kind of anomalous, they say. Now, if the Parker House had been a public building, a town hall, a state house, a museum, or a library, it probably could not have meant more to the people of Boston or indeed to the people of New England. So rehabilitation of the old structures would be costly, though. Nothing less than demolition and building anew would affect a complete rejuvenation and firmly restore the Parker House to the front rank of Boston's hotels. So most of the original Parker House was demolished in 1920s. Well, there was one wing of the original hotel that remained in operation until the new building was completed in 1927. So they didn't stop operating, but they left one wing open and tore the rest down. Well, it was designed by the architectural firm Desmond and Lord. And the new building, it's got this sleek, modern structure to it. It's made of steel and granite instead of marble. But one that recaptured at least part of the style of its predecessor, it says. It rose 14 stories above the corner of School Street and Tremont Streets. So that is a big hotel. Mm-hmm. Now, after it reopened in 1927, the Parker House enjoyed a new burst of prosperity. But there was a financial crash in 1929, and that taught the Whipple Company a grim lesson in the realities of hotel economics. In 1933, Whipple's mortgage was foreclosed, and the lender, First National Bank of Boston, transferred ownership to Glenwood J. Sherrard, who operated it until his death in 1958. In 1969, the hotel was acquired by the Dynamic Dunphy family. Owners of nearly a dozen hotels and restaurants in New England. Oh, I thought it was like a a, a group of acrobats. Yeah, the, <laughs> the, the Dunphy dy- family. The Dynamic Dunphy family. Yep. <laughs> That's they, what it sounds like. Well, now Hoppa! they perform. They perform in Vegas now, but <laughs> That's right. They started out with. Uh, owning nearly a dozen hotels and restaurants. Well, this says under the ownership of the Dunphys, mother Catherine Dunphy, brothers Bob, Jerry, Bill, Jack, Walt, and Roy, the Parker House, Roy, the Parker House became the nerve center of a rapidly expanding national chain and Dunphy became Sheraton's largest franchisee. So from New England, the Dunphys expanded their interest into New York, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Illinois, Georgia, Louisiana, Texas, and California. So they they had a dozen there in the Boston area. So they decided to buy the Parkers and started running it like they do the other hotels there. And then they just went across the nation. Yeah. So they apparently all of the doorman the bellboys, hostess, clerk, all the staff would dress in costumes of the colonial era, like when it was first built, and they'd greet guests at the School Street entrance, much like Harvey Parker did in the days of Longfellow and Dickens. So they were trying to keep some of that that feel that it originally had and why it brought people in. Longfellow and Dickens sounds dirtier than it is. It, it really does. It really does. I think when I did, saw that movie in when, college. <laughs> you said that. I was just like, mm-hmm. it just, just kind of hit me. Well, see, what happened was the teacher decided to play a movie for us, thinking it was about authors. Oh. It was not. <laughs> That'd be hilarious. She put it on, left the room. Man, that was a great class period. <laughs> oh, Lord. Um, so anyway, the you know, Omni that, Parker House. That long fellow in Dickens. Yeah. <laughs> hey, it's haunted. <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it has it has developed a reputation as being one of the most haunted locations in all of Massachusetts. Um, but some of the earliest paranormal sightings at the Omni Parker Hotel, uh, they date back all the way to the 1940s. Now, for instance, guests report seeing numerous apparitions on the ninth and 10th floor that just aimlessly walk the corridors. And these levels of the building are also the origin for strange orbs of light 
that appear and then disappear randomly uh, on the ninth and tenth floors. Uh, but orbs of light are so. I know it's. I, I don't know how to feel about it because it depends on the orb. A lot of times when people say orb, it's just a flash in a camera. Like right. you're catching just this spot in a camera. But if you're watching video and you watch this orb move, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm cool with that. But, or if it's live in front of your eyes. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. You know, orbs are something that I think you have to appreciate in person. You know, when you, when you look at a photo, when you look at a video, you can always kind of go, yeah, that's dust or that's a bug or, but seeing it live is one of those situations where you're just kind of like in shock, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I, out of my whole life and of all the experiences I've had, I've seen one and I wasn't a hundred percent sure that was what I was seeing when I saw it. So, yeah. you know, it, even still it's, it's a, it's a strange phenomenon and it's, it's, it makes you feel weird if it ever happens. I promise you. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I'm sure. But besides the ninth and 10th floors, room 303 is probably the hotel's most well-known hotspot for ghost encounters. Now, a lot of guests will recall experiencing the smell of whiskey and the sound of disembodied laughter within the room. Mm. Now, guests that have stayed in room 303 report strange shadows throughout the room and the bath water would just turn on randomly by itself. That'd be annoying. Yeah. Now, you know, that that takes some energy. You know, we're not talking about flipping a light switch on and off or pushing a button. We're actually talking about turning a faucet on mm-hmm. to start bath water. You know, that, right. that's not something you would expect. Now, management eventually turned room 303 into a storage co- closet for unspecified reasons. Mm. Yeah, because it was haunted. Yeah, um, we know the reason. <laughs> some speculate it was because a guest had committed suicide in that room, but no one really knows for sure. And we're going to, we're going to talk more about that uh, in just a minute. Um, It's also now this is, this is a rumor. Okay. But it's said that Stephen King's novel 1408 was inspired by the events occurring in room 303. Hmm. But this, and this is kind of a story that, you, you start seeing in a lot of articles about it. Yeah. You don't see any other explanation. Um, but I did find where uh, Stephen King's, I think, publicist had said, um, yeah, no, that's probably not right. Um, we, we do know that he's gotten inspired while experiencing something in a hotel before. Yeah. Um, you know, when he stayed in the Stanley that's what he says gave him the inspiration to write The Shining. So it's it's not out of character for him. It's just it he's probably stayed there once and it just you know, it, it was it was cool that he was there and you know, he's a modern arth- author staying where all these famous uh early all- authors had stayed before. So um but anyway, that's that's the rumor. But John Brim he was a longtime bellman for the Omni Parker house, and he began working there in 1941. Now, Brim shared his experience at the Omni Parker house with the Boston Globe in an interview in 1992. Now, he says, a long time. A long time. Now, Brim goes on to say that they used to say Parker's spirit roamed the halls on the 10th floor annex. He says there were many stories, but one in particular happened around 1950. He said an elderly female guest insisted she saw an apparition outside of room 1078. At first, it was a misty apparition in the air, and then it turned toward her. She said it was a heavy set older man with a black mustache, and he just looked at her and then faded away. Hmm. She came downstairs and was a bit, you know, upset, jittery. So security went up to the 10th floor to check it out, but they came back and said they couldn't find anything. 
Hmm. Uh, other guests on the 10th floor have claimed to hear the sound of rocking chairs so loud that it kept them up all night. Here's the catch. The hotel doesn't have any rocking chairs. Oh, really? On, on any floor. You know, much less the 10th floor. Hmm. I just uh, expected you to say that there was a rocking chair that a ghost was moving. Yeah. Not that no. There are none. <laughs> and, you know, that's, that's a classic sound. I mean, you, you can identify the sound of a rocking chair going back and forth. Uh-huh. And for there not to be a rocking chair to make said sound, mm, that's, that's kind of interesting. Right. Um, but room 1040 has had quite a few noise complaints on multiple occasions. But when security shows up to the room, the room is empty. And, huh. and the bellmen have reported orbs floating around the 10th floor corridor and then disappearing into nothingness. Now, guests have claimed that on two consecutive mornings and at the exact same time, people were whispering outside their doorway. But each time they checked, there was no one outside of their door or in the hallway. That's weird. But oddly enough, the guests claimed that the voices they heard were friendly and it sounded as if they were in a good mood. Hmm. So it doesn't really seem, at least at this point, that there's anything malicious, you know, yeah. there. Um, you know, no no kind of uh, you know, demonic entity, you know, wreaking havoc. You know, a, a lot of it is just um innocuous occurrences that are just strange but interesting. It it sounds like stone tape. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah, you're you're I mean, you're you're witnessing the replay of events that would have happened maybe a hundred years before. Mm-hmm. Now, as Adam uh, said earlier, you know, Charles Dickens lived on the third floor of the hotel for five months that he spent in Boston. And a lot of people believe that his spirit returns today because he loved that hotel so much. So legend has it that Dickens was a heavy smoker and would often prefer whiskey as his drink of choice. Some guests have complained of the smell of whiskey and cigars in room 303, even after it had been cleaned. Hmm. This is too bad that Dickens didn't love, like, you know, fresh-cut roses and lavender or something, hmm. you know, so make it, you go around making the room smell really good. I'd um, rather smell whiskey, probably. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Me too. But... These smells have also been attributed to that story I mentioned earlier about room 303, that the hotel may have shut it down and used it as a storage room because a guest had committed suicide in there. Yeah. So there is a story um, about a businessman who came in and had an extended stay in room 303. Um, You know, he would go about his business, but his favorite thing to do was to relax and hang out in his room, uh, drink whiskey and puff on cigars. Sounds but, like a good time. Yeah. But as the story goes, he eventually died in that room. And a lot of, a lot of things point to this being a suicide because one of the stories says that he, it was found that he had mixed barbiturates and alcohol together. Oh, geez. Which, you know, that, you know, if that, if you're going to do that, it's going to be bad. Yes. Yep. But again, there's not a whole lot of detail here. You know, we don't have the gentleman's name. We don't have a date. Um, so I think this may be one of those stories that's just concocted to explain the odd smells and the sounds and why the hotel doesn't rent out that room, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you're but, probably right. It's some legend, urban legend type thing. Yeah. I would prefer it to be Charles Dickens in there, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> that's a, you know, that's a, that's a much better story, but there is another famous spirit on the third floor and it's that of Charlotte Cushman, who was a famous 1870s actress who tragically died on the third floor of the hotel during the height of her career. Now this one we do know. 
She apparently died of pneumonia during a long battle with breast cancer, and she was in her room on the third floor of the hotel on the morning of February 18th, 1876. Now, because of these events um, on, on the third floor in room 303, and because the spirits that are associated with them have a, a level of fame, um, some people believe that these entities may have something to do with haunting the elevator as well. Because the elevators are routinely called to the third floor without any button being pushed on the inside or anyone waiting for it on the third floor. So a reporter for the American statesman, uh, Becca Hensley, she confirmed this strange occurrence when she stayed uh, in the hotel in 2010 to research her article titled Boston's Scariest Haunts. And this is a quote from that article. Becca says, nevertheless, my elevator does send itself several times to the third floor, though I don't push the button. And when I arrive, nobody is waiting. Says, ah, yes, says the woman at the front desk, as if it's nothing. That elevator's been doing that since Charlotte Cushman died there. Uh, Apparently, Charles Dickens also lived on the third floor, practicing his literature circuit speeches in a mirror that now hangs in the hotel's mezzanine. So that's a, that's a quote from that, um, from the article, Boston's scariest haunts. And as if the, you know, not only to add Charlotte Cushman to the conversation, um, the hotel staffer, um, also mentioned that Charles Dickens lived up there too. Uh, and he may have stuck around. Got to throw that in. Yeah. But she mentions the mirror. Okay. So the mirror that she is referring to hung in Charles Dickens' room, and he would use this mirror to practice his his uh, speeches or to practice his readings where he would go on tour and read A Christmas Carol. Um, but this mirror, it's four feet wide and six feet tall. So it it's a big mirror. That's a big mirror. And it's ornately carved. It has an ornately carved frame, and it features a plaque that states that the mirror had been authenticated as the Dickens Mirror by the Boston Dickens Fellowship. But the mirror is said to do odd things when guests say Charles Dickens in front of it three times. Oh Lord! <laughs> it's like it's a Bloody Mary, but Charles it Dickens. Is. All right, so. A staff- Bloody Dickens. Bloody Dickens. <laughs> Again, sounds much worse than it is. Yep. Um, sounds but, painful. But st- <laughs> That's right. Uh, but this is a, a staff member once witnessed a spooky occurrence in the mirror and refuses to touch it now. So he won't he won't clean it or anything. He's just, nah, I ain't touching it. That's weird. Um, and that was according to Sam uh, Baltrusis in his book, Haunted Boston Harbor. And this here's a quote from Haunted Boston Harbor. It says, this mirror is the one that Charles Dickens used to practice his orations in front of, says De- Jeffrey Doucette, uh, a veteran tour guide. Not long ago, a worker began to clean the mirror, and he kept seeing condensation appear on the glass right next to him as if someone was breathing on it. He Hmm. hasn't cleaned the glass since. (laughs) So you know what that makes that mirror? Dirty. Dirty. Yep. Yep. So that means if nobody's cleaning it, then there would be a lot of smudges, and you could mistake something in that mirror. Yeah. Or a ghostly figure. I'm hoping somebody's cleaning it, just not that guy. Yeah, I would assume so. But, you know, that that would be kind of weird. You know, you're cleaning one side of the mirror and it keeps fogging up on the other side. Yeah. Like, yeah. huh, what would be doing this? You know, like maybe like an air vent's blowing on it or something. But he thought maybe it was Dickens' ghost, you know, breathing on there. Now, if he breathed on it and then wrote in it, that yeah. would, that would be that would be a great story. Quit cleaning my mirror. <laughs> Get, 
Kilroy, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but there's another employee, manager of guest services, Seamus Murphy, said he also, Seamus Murphy, boy, if that ain't a Boston name, I don't know what is. Mm-hmm. Um, but he he also had a ghostly encounter on the mezzanine level in a storage closet. Now, according to an interview he gave to the author of the book, Heaven, by Hotel Standards, um, he says, uh, Seamus says, quote, I heard stories about ghosts here, but in 22 years as a bellman, never had an experience of my own. Around 2010, though, there was an event. He said, you know, the, the Saturdays with Seamus program I give. He said, well, we were in the Longfellow room, and I usually speak from a podium, but there was none there. I went to the storage room on the mezzanine level and heard a gruff voice yell out, what do you want? I thought it was a houseman at first, but there was nobody on the floor. Nobody at all. And the voice sounded just like a bell captain that used to work here. He had been a drinker, and sometimes after work hours, he'd go off to some bar and then wander back into the hotel late at night and hide out here in some sliding closet. So I thought it was probably him. He said, yeah, it really sounded exactly like him, except for the fact that he's dead. (laughs) Mm. That's weird. That's kind of cool that not. You know, you don't you don't see that a lot where somebody may have actually worked with the individual whose spirit now haunts part of that hotel. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, That's I, true. I guess, you know, it, it could have been anything. But um, for him to to register that he recognized that voice, yeah. that's I like that. That's a that's a really cool story. Yeah, I was going to say the the recognition of the voice is what's what threw me a little bit. Yeah, is because you don't you don't hear it often. You hear it sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not one of those things that you never hear somebody say. But it's not common that they're like, oh yeah, that that sounds like so and so when they first hear it, especially. Yeah, because it, it's usually not as clear and. You know, you'll they'll go back and listen to recordings of an EVP or something they get, and they may go, "Oh, well, that sounds like it could be my grandpa or whatever." But you don't hear often a, a disembodied voice and go, "Bill, <laughs> right?" You <know? laughs> that, yeah, you don't you don't hear that too often. <laughs> Roy, is that you? Now, one of the oldest sections of the hotel is called the Bosworth section. A security officer was making his rounds one evening when he saw the shadow of a man coming down the corridor in the Bosworth section. He cordially stepped aside to allow the man to pass, and then suddenly, the man was gone. Shaken and confused, he later realized that that particular spirit was wearing a stovepipe hat, reminiscent of... Mr. Harvey Parker's. You think he just ran past him real quick? Yeah, it was just super fast. Yeah, like the flash. I think if you're wearing a stovepipe hat, fast doesn't come into play, <laughs> you know? That's a valid point. <laughs> you ever seen He's- a guy running real fast wearing a stovepipe hat? No, no, can't say that I have. <laughs> it, it'd probably be like one of those cartoons where they take off running and their stovepipe hat just stays there for a second and then falls. <laughs> yes. The hat, bobby pins, spinning around. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, the most enduring story from the Omni Parker Hotel involves the spirit of Harvey Parker himself. Some people specifically say that they encounter a gray mist that rapidly forms into the apparition of a heavyset man with a beard. And we had that situation earlier. You know, we had a lady that experienced exactly that. Now, this person matches the description of Parker, and the ghost typically disappears as soon as it's noticed. But sightings of Parker are also, also reported to occur inside some of the guest rooms. One such story involved a mother and daughter who were staying in room 1012. The daughter awoke around daybreak 
to encounter the image of a man standing at the foot of her bed, dressed entirely in garments from the 19th century. He was smiling at her as if to ask, are you enjoying your stay? When she smiled back in reply, he vanished. Weird. Now, later, when the mother and daughter went down for breakfast, she saw a portrait of Harvey Parker in the dining room and realized it was the same man who had been in her room earlier that morning. Hmm. Yeah. Now, I'm just going to say this. I, I appreciate the hotel owner greeting me at the door, asking how my stay is, but it goes a little too far for him to come in my room to ask how I'm enjoying my stay. And yeah. Well, I was fine until this. Yeah. This ruined it for me. And I'm sure a mother and daughter don't find it creepy at all that some ghost man is coming in their room and smiling at them. Standing at the foot of the bed. Yeah, probably going <laughs> while he's standing there, too. Yeah, I'm going to get your toes. You know? Yeah, I diggle, diggle, diggle. <laughs> Creepy. Y'all got to go back and watch the video of Adam's face <laughs> when he just did that tickle, tickle, tickle. I mean, that was, that was crazy looking. <laughs> I'm a method actor, Matt. Shut up. <laughs> What method are you using? <laughs> the creepy one. <laughs> but maybe, I mean, freak maybe. my co-host out one. <laughs> maybe Harvey Parker's ghost does haunt the hotel. It would make sense. Um, you know, this was kind of a, 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 this was a lifelong effort. And, you know, he made that hotel what it is from. And he didn't you know, have anybody to leave it to. Right. So he may feel like he needs to stay. You know, it, it went from a restaurant in continued expansion, you know, to this plush, lavish, lavish hotel. Um, and he was very proud of it. So maybe he does come back and make sure that the guests, they are enjoying their stay and that things are going well. Um, mm -hmm. But as I said earlier, it, it doesn't sound like there's anything truly malicious going on. Um, it, you know, it, it, this stuff happens, you know, often enough. That when you when you search up the Omni Parker Hotel, uh, the ghost stories I guarantee you're going to be are going to be mentioned. I mean, it, it's mm -hmm. definitely not a place that shies away from any paranormal events. Um, you know, they and they may even promote it a little bit. You know, because it does it does add to the allure of a very sure. old hotel in, in in a city that is you know so so classically american yep. um you know when when you think of an american city you know you think of places like you know new york and uh but you know, boston i mean yeah. you know it's it's not only Amer it's historic it's where um, we had the tea party yeah so you know adding to the ambiance by you know coming in and staying at this place and and going hey we we might we might see something, you know, we might experience something and that would, you know, make our trip even more cool. So, um, I know that we have listeners in Boston and, mm -hmm. and I'm sure everybody up there knows this hotel very well, but what I'd be curious to know is, have we had any listeners that have actually stayed there? Um, and what it was like, you know, did you go knowing that this place was potentially haunted? Um, you know, were you, were you hoping that you, uh, had an experience or were you kind of hoping that you didn't, yeah. um, you know, yeah. there's, there's two schools of thought there. Um, let us know. And the best place to do that is in our Facebook group, um, with thousands of folks in there, uh, you know, it's a safe place to come and share those kind of stories, share your personal experiences. If, if you're in this group, that's what you want. You know, you got in here because you love hearing you know, these right. personal ghost stories. And if you've got them, we, we would love jokes. for you to share them. And a lot of dumb jokes. And, oh, yeah. Plenty of dumb jokes. So yeah, it's a ghost story and a few dumb jokes over and mm -hmm. over, <laughs> over yep. again. I love it. And don't cool forget. Cool place to hang out. It is a cool place to hang out. Um, don't forget to check out our website, which is graveyardpodcast.com. 
there you can listen to the show. You can find links to purchase Graveyard Tales merchandise, and you can become a patron. and And thank you to everyone who has donated to the show. You know, we mentioned earlier how how crucial that is to keep us going. Um, please don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. It helps bring us up the charts. It just makes it easier for folks to find the show. So, until next time, we'll save you a seat in the graveyard. See you soon.